0: Or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com
1: or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I don't know about everyone listening, but after a long day of work, I just need to come home to a nice, refreshing tall boy to ease my stress. I actually just had three or four last night if I'm being honest. No, not those tall boys. A refreshing tall can of liquid death was exactly what I needed. If you've noticed a new tall boy can in the water section that looks like a beer or an energy drink, it's actually liquid death. A mountain spring water from the Alps that comes in still, sparkling, or in three different flavors. Try the lime, trust me. Why is the water called liquid death, you ask? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. There's just something special about grabbing an ice-cold can of liquid death, hearing the pop when you open it, and quenching your thirst with the best-tasting still or sparkling water on the market. I honestly could not go back to bottles even if I wanted to. As I mentioned, I can't recommend the sparkling lime liquid death enough. It has the perfect lime flavor to go with a crisp, refreshing finish. It's also the best water to mess with just about everyone you know, as they probably think you're chugging a beer in your car or a work meeting at about 9 a.m. Seriously, guys, check this product out. I've been absolutely loving it, and I know you will too. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or hy or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com packaday. That's liquiddeath.com packaday.
2: 20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. Podcast.
1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Pack a Day Podcast live here on YouTube, or maybe you're watching on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us. I have two incredibly special guests. As soon as I decided to do this whole crazy thing, uh, these were two of the people that I reached out to immediately because I needed to get the band back together. The original Green Bay Nation crew, I am joined by the one and only Lily Zhao. You can follow her on Twitter, at Zhao. She, of course, is a sports anchor and reporter in Milwaukee for Fox 6. And, of course, you know my good friend Marcus Eversall as well. You can find him on 107.5 and 1400, The Fan in Green Bay, Course, his signature show, Better Call Eversol, which deserves an Emmy for name creativity in and of itself. Friends, thank you so much for joining me. Can't wait to talk Packers with you once again. It's Excited great. about it. <laughs> so, before we even jump in and get started, I have to do a huge shout out because Uh, Both Lily and Marcus are two of the most influential people in my time covering the Packers. Lily gave me my first opportunity ever with anything TV-related, and Marcus gave me my first opportunity with anything radio-related, so I am super grateful for both of you. I'm sure it is one of the bigger mistakes on both of your resumes (laughs) that you don't call to attention very often, Uh, but I wanted to put it out in the uh, atmosphere anyway, so thank you incredibly both. Uh, You are two of my absolute favorite people, and like I said, I can't wait to talk Packers with you guys today.
3: Well, Andy, you certainly flourished. I love it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, Let's jump right in because we've got a lot of Packers stuff to talk about. It has been an interesting week to say the least. Marcus, you've obviously been talking to people around Packers Nation on Better Call Eversol every day this week. So you probably have a great pulse of where uh, everyone in Packer fandom is at. But there's, it seems to me that, of course, there's the the people that want to hit the panic button. Uh, there's a lot of people, of course, that want to say, "Hey, Aaron Rodgers, relax. Everything's going to be just fine." So, Lily, I will start with you. Are you closer to relax or panic at this point for the Packers?
3: I am closer to relax. Again, I don't think the world is is ending. I don't think Packers football is. You know, they're not going to have a three and fourteen season. This is still a team that's improving, albeit you know you don't really want to have these stumbling blocks and in, in a you know kind of a dud of a game in week five. But again, you still have Aaron Rodgers, you still have a very talented team, so I don't I don't think it's time to panic yet. Again, if you play like this against the Jets, maybe there's more of a need to hit that panic button. But uh, as of now, I'm more towards the relax. Hopefully, they'll f- figure things out kind of mode.
1: So you're more on the Jair Alexander side of things where like, okay, we're not panicking yet, but if we lose to the Jets, we'll start to panic. Marcus, what
4: about you? Yeah, I'd say I'm also closer. If it's one or the other, I'm closer to the R-E-L-A-X. I I mean, I still think they're going to win more games than they lose. It'll be a a more successful season than an unsuccessful season. That said, I mean, that loss was pretty alarming. I mean, like we're not – there's there's a portion of the fan base that will always freak out on every single loss, no matter what. No matter if it's a, a two-point loss or a 20-point loss, there's people that will freak out no matter what. But we're, we're also at the point of the season where it's not just a loss or a big-blown lead against the New York Giants. We have five games to look at. And if you look at the five-game sample size, there have been a lot of signs that suggested, whether we wanted to ignore them or not, there have been a lot of signs that suggested the Packers are not in a position where they can overlook anybody, whether it's the giants in London or the jets coming into Lambeau next week. So if it's relax or panic, I'm closer to relax, but I'm also willing to come back to the table and have these conversations. Like maybe we did kind of have too high of expectations coming in. Cause as things stand right now, they're not a great football team. I mean, we'll see where they are in a month or a couple months, but right now, there's reasons to be concerned.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point in the season too, because I know the Jets are, I think, better than maybe people expected, and then the Commanders are a really bad football team. But even if they, you know, come out with wins against the Jets and Commanders, I, you know, it, unless it's like just lopsided victories and they look phenomenal, I think people are still going to be questioning exactly where this team is at. I don't think either of those are, you know, perfect litmus tests. And then you have the Bills who might be the opposite litmus test where they're just probably like two steps too far ahead of Green Bay at this moment. So I think there's going to be a really interesting stretch of games coming up, especially when you consider five stadiums in in five weeks. Uh, Green Bay, of course, this week and then three road games, including that Buffalo Bills game in that stretch. So. I think we still have a lot and I mean a lot to learn about this team. I don't think they've faced anybody all that difficult so far and they have a three and two record. And as you mentioned, Marcus, it's really tough to take you know any team for granted and just say that's that chalk it up to a win. Um, I mentioned this as well, but like you, you got to the last drive last game. And I think a lot of people on Twitter were like, all right, Aaron's going to go down and lead them to a touchdown. And this is going to get to overtime. And I'm like, I don't think you can just count on that anymore. Like this is not the same team. You have to play a full 60 minutes of complimentary football. If you want to be able to get out of, you know, those sort of situations with wins, they didn't do that. And it obviously was an issue. Lily, I'll ask you this. There's a lot that went wrong in some capacity over the course of this past week. And as Marcus mentioned, sort of through this season so far, what's your biggest concern right now where you're like, okay, we, we really have to figure something out in this situation or this capacity.
3: Um, you know I think the obvious answer would be the defense because it was so hyped and you know for a reason I mean you look at the individual talent on the team and there's a reason why you thought hey this should be one of the top defenses in the NFL but I'm going to go on the offensive side and say just kind of the the play of Aaron Rodgers and again it kind of looks like you know him the first season with Matt LaFleur they're kind of figuring things out but it's just he's not as accurate you know the deep balls aren't there and it seems like the chemistry is still building with those younger guys and now that Christian Watson potentially could be out it's it's you know can you trust Romeo Dobbs even more and get the ball to him? So I think it's just the play of Aaron Rodgers. You know, we've seen him kind of miss some open guys down the field. He's holding onto the ball a little bit too long sometimes. And I know a lot of people were saying, hey, he was playing hero ball against the Giants, you know, in the second half, you know, and they weren't committing to the run. And, and it's warranted to say, and I know, you know, Aaron would be the first person to say, hey, I got to play better. And he knows it as well. But I just think of, you know, this really does look like the first year that he's had with Matt LaFleur. And it's kind of a little concerning knowing how good of a quarterback he is, but you know, you bring in talented pieces, but nothing really is clicking so far. And it just has feel it has felt very disjointed offensively this season. And that's just not a really good feeling to have
4: Marcus. I'd say my biggest concern is, is the defense. Like Lily said, I mean, coming into the year, there was so much hype, but it, it was all justified. I mean, on paper, and that's all we have to do. All we have to talk about until they start playing games on paper, there is no weakness with this defense. I mean, we, we could talk about the depth, which was a question, but the starting 11, your preferred 11 on defense, there were no questions. There was no weakness. We we figured there would be growing pains offensively, losing Devontae, losing Nathaniel Hackett, losing Luke Getze, all the changes on the coaching staff and all that. We figured that it might be slow out of the gates on offense, but we thought the formula is going to be different, right? I mean, it was maybe a little Less explosive on offense, but you bring back the band on defense. You spend two first-round picks on defense. You think, as long as you have Aaron Rodgers, the offense will be good enough. But the thing you're banking on is that this defense is as good as advertised. And through five games, they've had moments of being dominant. I mean, they were pretty good in that Tampa game. They started the game against the Giants pretty well. But the schedule overall has been... I mean, let's face it. The schedule's been really soft in terms of offensive firepower. They got torn up in that first half against the Vikings. Justin Jefferson is still catching passes. Packers are still not adjusting. But since then, they haven't played anybody. And I just, if you would have told me coming into the season that in consecutive weeks, I know Brian Hoyer started the Patriots game, but Bailey Zappi, their third-string rookie, basically played the whole game. If you would have told me that in consecutive weeks, they get Bailey Zappi's Patriots – and then Daniel Jones and the giants. And you told me the defense was basically fully healthy. I would have thought there's a chance that they pitched a shutout in one of the two games, both of them, you're talking about like single digit points allowed that didn't happen either week. These past two games were both games that I think most of us figured this defense should dominate. And that just didn't happen. So that to me is a concern because there, there were supposed to be less questions about the defense coming into the season and five weeks in we've got questions
1: I agree with both of you and I think the thing that's a little bit disconcerting is it felt like there was one real Avenue for Packer's like ultimate success this season I know at three and two coming off a loss to the Giants it doesn't feel like an, a perfect time it's like the Jimora playoffs you want to talk about playoffs sort of thing but like I think the formula we all thought was going to have to work for this team to reach its ultimate goal was had to include, not just a good defense, not, maybe not even a really good defense, but probably a great defense. There's no juggernaut offense. Like I don't care how much Aaron Rodgers like improves, you know, back to his you know MVP self through the course of the remainder of the season. There's I don't think there's any scenario where just like Green Bay all of a sudden figures out a juggernaut offense that can hang with the Bills and the Chiefs and some of these really talented teams. Right? The special teams I think has sort of already met our expectations and just not being incompetent, which is a huge step in the right direction. But if they wanted to ultimately win at the end of this year, it had to include some form of great defense. And it's not to say that by week 17 and week one of the playoffs and those sort of things that it can't be a great defense, but the early returns through five weeks are nowhere near where it needs to be. And I think our expectations going in. So I'm right there with you guys to me, that is by far and away the most disconcerting because I just don't think there's a a path for success this season. If it doesn't get to that point. And there's a lot of pressure on Joe Barry and that defense because of it. Yeah.
4: Like, you know what I mean? Like, how do you think I still feel the same way about the talent? I don't want to, I want to speak for you guys, but I still feel like we're not overrating All these names, like Jair Alexander's a stud. Kenny Clark is a stud. Devondre Campbell had a great year last year. Now, I mean, we can get back to him, but it just, it's felt very vanilla. I am not entirely surprised because Joe Barry's scheme is kind of Joe Barry's scheme, but it's just, it's really frustrating to see this defense not be dominant when it feels like the personnel and the schedule has allowed them to really spread their wings and really take over and dominate, and they, they just haven't done that.
3: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, last year it was, we saw a lot of those big splash plays, right? We saw Russell Douglas, the pick sixes. We saw all the big sacks. We saw all the takeaways and, you know, we really haven't had that this season. Yeah. There was that, you know, they they had a game with two punch outs and fumble recoveries, but outside of that, they really haven't been taking the ball away. And that's what we've been used to seeing with this defense. And I think that's one of the big, the big issues as well. It's like, they just can't get off the field and, you know, they need a turnover. They just can't get it. You know, they had one potentially then you get, a a penalty that negates everything. So it's, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot. So it's, it's, it's execution. Yeah. It's for sure the the scheme as well, but it's how do you guys, or how do you get the guys in the right spot? Because their drives where it's like the giants were all set and the Packers are still kind of scrambling to get set in their assignments. And you're like, this can't be happening in week five.
1: There was a part of me that at the beginning of the season was like, okay, I kind of see what Joe Barry's doing. Like he thinks he can win vanilla and he's kind of keeping all of this stuff in his back pocket for like, when you do go against, you know, Josh Allen and the bills and like, all right, we can throw some things out there that we haven't even had to show through the first five, six, seven weeks of the season. Um, no, it's just, is like that he hasn't had enough answers. Uh, and it seems like almost that you're playing a, a Bailey Zappi and Daniel Jones led offense, almost like you're playing against, Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen, and and playing this you know cover four defense, two guys over the top, like making sure you're not getting beat deep, and you're, it feels like you're almost giving those teams way too much respect and not giving enough respect to your own players on your own team that can go get the job done. And Marcus, I heard you talk about on the radio today. I know we talked about it earlier this week, but you've got Jair Alexander, the highest paid corner in football against a, a guy they called up from the practice squad this week. And you're playing 14 yards off against him on a second and 19. And those are the sort of things where it's just like, let your guys go play. And it doesn't seem like it's there right now. I'm hopeful that they'll get it to that point. But um, the other thing, Lily, you mentioned turnovers. I, I do have some hope that like we know turnovers can start coming in bunches and you can gain that confidence and all of a sudden that sets up the offense for success and then the offense gets some easy points and maybe that starts coming and it starts complementing each other a little bit more. But at the same token, this defense should be good enough where if you don't get those turnovers, you're still, whether it's bend but don't break or just limiting the production and getting some three and outs, like those are the things that they're going to have to do. And they didn't do it against Daniel Jones in a hodgepodge bunch of receivers. And I don't know how you could be anything except concerned following a performance like that.
3: Yeah, and and it's kind of the same old narrative, right? I feel like a lot of fans are like, okay, they're playing a backup quarterback. This guy's going to look like Tom Brady against the Packers defense and nine times out of 10 they have because they just haven't been able I don't know if it's they're playing down a competition I'm not saying that that because you know these guys are professionals in the league they're not doing that but it's just I feel like they 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 play a lot better when they're against better competition but then when you have these backup quarterbacks it's like they're just slinging it left and right and they're tearing up your secondary and you're like what's happening I mean this shouldn't be happening but I feel like every time they're playing a backup you kind of expect it to and that's not really the narrative you want to have.
4: No, I, Yeah, I sent a text to my brother the other day. I'm like, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I would have just about the same level of confidence in the Packers' defense going against an elite quarterback right now as I would them going against a Daniel Jones or a Bailey Zappi. Like, I I don't know if – now, I have a feeling that that feeling might slightly change yeah. on October 30th <laughs> before they play Josh Allen and they give up 38 points to the Bills. Like, that might change. But that's kind of how I feel right now. Like, it's just – I try really hard not to be the armchair coach guy where it's like, I know a lot of fans will say this is what LaFleur's or I could call plays better than LaFleur. This is what Barry needs to do. Like, I don't know exactly everything that goes into game plan. Like the the guys over at 1265, they've been coaching for a long time. They know what they're doing, but there are some things defensively that just seem so self-explanatory. If you're playing that soft outside You can call up practice squad receivers. You can be without three of your top three receivers. And if you're playing that deep and you respect and the defense has to respect the run enough, as was the case on Sunday, you can run crossing routes over and over and over again. And unless the defense adjusts, you're giving up big gains like that seems pretty self-explanatory. We mentioned Jair Alexander earlier. To me, that just seems easy. I I don't know. I mean, Rasul Douglas had the best year of his career last season. He's a perimeter corner. He's 6'2", 210. He's a big guy. Eric Stokes, also a perimeter corner. Jair Alexander can do everything. Like, when you have three corners on the field, and this is something to Andy's point earlier, like, maybe this is something that Joe Barry's just keeping in his back pocket. Maybe he's laying in the weeds a little bit until he really wants to surprise people and, you know, put Jair in the slot. But come on, I mean, what am I missing here? They have one corner who can whose skill set is conducive to play anywhere. Jair's their most ext- instinctive defensive player. What am I missing? Like I why why not have him in the slot when you go nickel? That makes no sense to me. I, yeah,
3: love I I was going to say, I would love the discussions, you know, because, you know, the, the questions are asked and, you know, especially even week one, it was like, why wasn't Jair matched up against Justin Jefferson the entire game? And it's like, well, yeah, we play a zone. We can't play man. It's not feasible every single snap. I get it. But again, like you mentioned, put your best players in the best positions possible when you know their strengths and you know where they can, you know, cover well on the field, do that. And you're going to have a higher level of, of success. And, you know, again, on those third and long calls, it's you're playing so far off the line of scrimmage. It's, it's kind of predictable at this point, like bring the pressure, you know, you know, these guys can do it, bring the pressure, but it's just, I think what we expect to see on the field hasn't been translating to what has been done on the field. And I think that's, you know, a big discrepancy in terms of what we're seeing. Uh,
1: Marcus and Lily, do you remember uh, a couple of years back with Mike Patton where I think it was like Zedarius and a couple of guys ended up going into Mike Patton's office and being like, we need to attack more. Like we're just being a little bit too soft and we need to play a different brand of defense. Like, I just have a belief that defenders like to attack and they like to go get after people, go get after the quarterback and make and go make plays and put themselves in positions to succeed in that regards. Like I understand the, the the idea and philosophy of playing a bit more off and going and, 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 you know, making the tackle and securing it and making sure you're not giving up explosives. I understand all of it, but like, I also don't know that, that, that philosophy fits this team very well. It's not like it's the best tackling team in the world. And like, secondly, I just think at some point, like you've got to give them something different where they feel like they can go and attack the quarterback and get after them and like, just give them a little bit of juice and energy because it feels like they're kind of just bored out there. And th- that to me is a- another issue like defensively, you, you've just got to give them an opportunity to go make plays. It feels like they're kind of handcuffed at the moment, especially guys like Jair. And um, I think that's another just brand of frustrating right now. I'm not sure about you guys, but it still catches me off guard when I walk down the water aisle at the grocery store and see these new tall boys that look like beer chilling out in the middle of the bottled water section. Of course, it's not actually beer. It's Liquid Death, a new mountain spring water from the Alps that's available in still, sparkling, and three unique flavors. But why is it called Liquid Death, you may ask? Well, it's because Liquid Death donates 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Even better is that the use of their aluminum Tallboy cans is also helpful, as aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. Friends, bottled water has always been boring to me, but there's absolutely nothing boring about Liquid Death. I love the crisp, refreshing pop of the can when I open it, and the water simply tastes better in a can than it does out of a bottle. Add in their three unique flavors personally, I love the lime and the overall experience is infinitely better than any other water product. Plus, it just looks so much cooler holding a tall boy labeled Liquid Death that looks like you're holding a crisp, refreshing beer. So do me a favor and go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee. Or you can find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com packaday. That's liquiddeath.com packaday.
4: Yeah, and it, and it kind of feels too like, I mean, remember after the season opener when I I can't say Jair flat out called out the game plan when he wasn't manned up on Jefferson, but he did bring it up. I mean, he did say, I think you all know that if I had it my way, I'd be manning up with him. You hear like something as small as Aaron Jones after the game in London saying, I mean, if you give me an AJ Dillon, the two carries third and two and fourth and two, I put my money on it. We Like there, that is an attribute of a team still so much searching for its identity right now. Like I can't recall in the LeFleur era where you're starting to, you've heard a little bit of the questions coming out after games. Like, you know, what are we really doing? And you think about it from a player perspective, you're going throughout the, like we can all stick with the offense here. Like we can all see, what's worked well, like very little has worked well for this offense consistently. But when you run the offense through Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, things have worked pretty well. We can all see it. You know, the players can see it. And the longer they go without finding a, putting together a a consistent 60 minutes, the more and more of these questions are going to creep up. And if the defense, like we're all talking about soft schedule, backup quarter backups, or just bad quarterbacks, and they're not able to just, Step on their throat, put them away right away. These questions are only going to get louder and louder. And I, it is a process. And I, I think an overarching point here, too, is like when I talk about the defense, they haven't been bad, right? I mean, they're giving up 18, 19 points, whatever it is, on the they haven't been bad. But this entire season, we don't need to get it twisted. Like this entire season is about one thing it's, it's a Super Bowl standard. And right now, through five games, I mean, that we're not talking about whether they're good or bad or going to make the playoffs. It's whether or not they're good enough to get through the NFC into a Super Bowl. It doesn't matter where they are in early October. I understand that. But there have been very few glimpses where it's felt like, even compared to the last couple years, okay, they've got something brewing here. This is a Super Bowl-caliber team. Maybe that's a good thing because you could argue the last couple years they may have peaked too early. And this year, maybe it's just a gradual buildup to late season. That's what matters.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Well, let's go. Let's move to the offensive side of the ball because I think there's a lot to discuss there as well. You started bringing up the the clear and obvious one of needing to get Aaron Jones the ball a little bit more. I, I thought personally, and not that this is uh, – games are not won and lost at the podium, but I thought Matt LaFleur was fantastic in his answers in his press conference on Monday, um, just kind of how we stood out up there and, and kind of went over philosophy and what he's trying to accomplish – um, like I said, I, I I was extremely impressed with how he handled that. That's a tough press conference coming off a pretty abysmal loss um, in London, and he had he had answers for everything. And when you listen to it, it, it makes sense. It just does feel like all of the the run solutions that they have, and all of the ways to attack single high, and all of the ways that they can tack press to man or press man to man, and all the ways that they can get out of running against an eight man box and into a more advantageous call. I like all of that philosophically. It's kind of like defensively. I like not giving up big plays philosophically and making the you know the defense go the entire or you know, the offense go the entire length of the field. Um, but there also has to be a point where you just say, you know what, screw the numbers, screw the analytics, screw the philosophy. We've got to get the ball to our best player. And if there was an opportunity to throw the ball 20 plus times to Devontae Adams last year when you had an Aaron Jones and an MVS and like all of those weapons, and now there is no Devontae Adams, um, it would seem that the guy that you want to hone in on and focus is Aaron Jones. And it just seems like every once in a while from the day that he was drafted and whether it was Mike McCarthy or Matt LaFleur or anyone else calling the plays, it's like they just lose track of – Arguably, their best player at times. And it's just the weirdest thing where, like, if this, if there was the other way around and, like, they, you know, forgot about Saquon, you'd be like, what the heck are they doing? So it's just, I don't know. I'll, I'll Marcus, I'll let you take that, whatever direction you want to go in. But it's just, it's so maddening sometimes.
4: It's maddening. It's frustrating. It's confusing. I, it's Aaron Jones, as you said, Aaron Jones' entire career has basically been a mystery. And I, and I joke this week, like, this part is not a joke. I mean, he is genuinely one of, if not the most humble guys in that locker room, just a great guy. No one's ever said a bad word about Aaron Jones, easy guy to root for easy guy, just a good human being and a great football player. And I joked this week, like, is it time for Aaron Jones to stop being so nice? Like, does he need to go all Keyshawn Johnson with it? Like just start screaming, give me the damn ball. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't picture that ever happening, but how in the world, how many times have we sang that same sad song with Aaron Jones, where offense goes stagnant? They go through the game, post game press conference, and Lafleur's up there saying, "We got to get 33 more touches." It's like, yeah, we we know, get him more touches. There is, there is. I know. I realize there's certain sets if defense is showing like an eight man box, it's programmed into Roger's brain to check out of that and whatever. I understand that. But there is, it is like coaching malpractice or play calling malpractice in that game on Sunday against the Giants to have two to one, two passes to every one rush. Randall Cobb, Randall Cobb's had a good start to the season. Fine. Randall Cobb was targeted 13 times in that game. Aaron Jones carried the football 13 times. It's like, there's too many smart people over there between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. There's too many smart people over there for this to keep happening, that, that part is simple. That part, you and I, everyone else can see this offense is at its best when Aaron Jones gets the ball. So give him the ball.
3: And I totally agree. It's, it's when you're watching the flow of the offense, they are consistently moving the chains like 9.9 out of 10 times when Aaron or Aaron Jones has the football, whether it's running it or they utilize them in the past game. And I don't think they, I, they haven't been utilizing them in the past game as much as I would like to see either. Um, he's just so talented and it's just like an automatic five, six yards on the ground. Every time he touches the ball, it just seems he's just so patient. He's so electric when he has the football and he moves the chains. And it is very mind boggling when you have a a talent like him and he's kind of on the back burner and you're like, well, where did he go? Like, where's Aaron Jones? And there's multiple times where you're like, okay, they throw it three times and there's no Aaron Jones. They go three and out. I mean, you kind of have to be like, at this point in time, He's like a Saquon Barkley. we got to get him the ball at least every drive, see what he can do. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. They talked about the last two plays against the Giants, you know, the RPOs and, and the coverages that they saw. But it's why not just see what he can do, right? Even on third down, if you give him the ball on third down, he gets one yard or gets none. I mean, at least he tried. And be like, we've tried to run the ball. Maybe we'll do a pass on fourth down. But it wasn't even – like a thought or I'm sure it was a thought, but it wasn't even tried. And that's, that's the frustrating part because there have been games where we're thinking run the ball and they just haven't done it consistently enough. But it's kind of like, when will that consistently start to happen? If not what five years into his career now?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I I think the one thing too, is like, Listen, if, if Jones is to the point where he's like getting worn down in a game and like you need more AJ Dylan or things like that, like fine, so be it. But like you're not even getting close to that point. And and that's the other thing, is like probably Dylan probably needs some more touches as well. And I don't know if you guys heard him on with John Kuhn. Um, he seemed not exactly super stoked that he didn't get the ball uh on those last, you know, at least one of those last couple of plays as well. Um it's just it's it's They've got to figure out a way. This is this has got to be a running back-driven team. I don't think they have to necessarily be a running-driven team, but it has to be a running back-driven team. And whether they're getting the ball to them via screen passes, whether it's in the passing game in other ways, whether it's on jet sweeps, whether it's just handing the ball off, whatever it is, they have to figure that out. I can't imagine um, you know, the Giants, if they saw an eight-man box, been like, well, we can't get it to Saquon now. They got an eight-man box. We just can't do it. Right. I think the other thing, too, is that it does seem like – And I think Wink Martindale honestly used this a little bit. I think things are a little bit too binary where it's like, it's like if eight man, then throw, if seven man, then run. And if teams start picking up on those tendencies, which I very much believe based on some of the things I saw on the tape this week from Wink, I very much believe he showed eight, nine man box, and then explode it out. And there's like, we're going to get out to those screen passes on the outside that green Bay loves to do. Like, we're going to make sure that we're taking, like we know what they're going to do. And same thing, like, all right, seven man box. And then all of a sudden post snap safety comes screaming up because then it's more likely that they're going to run the ball. So y- y- like I know the cat and mouse game is intense and I would probably trust Aaron Rodgers to win the cat and mouse game against just about anyone more often than not. But it does seem offensively, defensively, things are just getting a little bit too predictable.
4: I wholeheartedly agree. It's it's almost like when you're playing against the Seattle Seahawks and that Legion of boom defense, and you're like, Oh, Richard Sherman's play, best corner in the game. He's going to shut down that side of the field. So therefore let's not look over there. We're all over. Like then you're doing their job for them. If they show an eight man box, is that inviting you to run the ball? No, but it can be done. Otherwise you're just doing their job for them. There's, there's ways to run the ball. You can still, heck when's the last time the Wisconsin Badgers haven't seen an eight man front. That's all they do. And they still run into it. Braylon Allen can still run the ball. So I, I think to your point with the cat and mouse game, Aaron Rodgers will, and should always have the freedom at the line to change plays to some degree. But I do think it's, it's worth Rodgers maybe coming a little bit towards like, he's always done it one way. They've always had an explosive offense and, In his mind, when he sees eight man box, he's thinking, "Passing down, check out, throw the ball." Right now, the passing game is in a state that it really hasn't been for most, if not all, of Roger's career. Now, I think he's gonna. There's got to be a happy medium. There's got to be a compromise where he's like, "All right, it's an eight man box. Devil on my shoulder saying throw, but over here I'm like, in reality now, three yards, four yards, staying ahead of the sticks." That's a successful play. I mean, it's baby steps right now for the offense.
3: Yeah, I I totally agree. I, I do feel like it's more of I think they want to achieve this level of success offensively, which, you know, they potentially and hopefully will get there near the end of the season. But they have to realize what they have now. And that's run the ball first, get your running backs involved. And then those other things will start to build and build and build. Right. It's you're taking deep shots and they're not working. They're just simply not working. I don't know if it's the chemistry. I don't know if it's just like they're not running the right routes or what it is, but it's, to your point, you have to really utilize your strengths with what you have now and then build upon that, and then potentially you can reach that echelon of where you want to be offensively. And, and you know, I think to your point, you know, Aaron Rodgers really does have to realize that, you know, this is what we have. This is what we have, and this is what we have to work with. we got to just use, utilize it well and then build off of it. So, again, hopefully this Giants game was just a big learning lesson for this team and just going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, what can we, what do we do well? And how do we build off that versus I want to do this, but we can't really do the things that help us do this, if that makes any sense.
1: No, it does. And I, I know Zach Cruz's uh, on Twitter has been um, kind of about this week of like, and I don't want to speak for him or paraphrase him, but it, it kind of seems more of like, you know, I, I think the process was good and the, just the results didn't actually come the way that we wanted them to. I, I actually uh, a little bit, um, and coming around to that there were opportunities in the passing game even on those three straight passes that everyone's frustrated with there were there were a couple of plays that probably should have been illegal contact um, even the drive prior to that like Dobbs is going to come wide open down the field in a play where um, Rodgers throws to him deep and that it was pretty aggressive by the defender probably at least based on the calls that Green Bay had go against them definitely should have been called um, I do think that there's a piece of this where man, just a a hair of a difference. And like some of these big plays are completed and like the process and the thinking behind it. And as Matt LaFleur went up to the podium and kind of discussed what was going through his mind on some of these calls, I don't hate the process so much. I I like, I really don't. I like some of the things that they were able to get into. And I do think sometimes we can be a little bit of like the victim of the results rather than, all right, the process was good and it just didn't work and we've got to reevaluate next time. That's not to say, they, they can ignore Aaron Jones to the point that they did or like all of those things that we just talked about. It's not. I just think I, for those that maybe, you know, don't get to watch the the tape is back or anything like that, I don't think it was as bad of a process as maybe it feels like afterwards because the results didn't come the way that we hoped they would. And I do think there's an opportunity for those results to hit in the same process moving forward. All right, let's move past offense. Or Marcus, do you have something to say?
4: I, I mean, I would just say one One thing, and you're right that that three and out with the three straight incompletions, the Lazard play on first down was clearly illegal contact, and would have been a shot play had they called it. So who knows? Could have been a 40 yard gain, but at very bare minimum, it's a first down. At least you're moving the chains, and you don't go three and out. And it it does just take a little bit to potentially spark some type of momentum. I guess the only other thing is I know Rogers is so big on this trust thing, and obviously going back to the off season, he's been calling Alan Lazard their wide receiver one. And he's been that since he's played. He's obviously he's going to play the most, but in Randall Cobb's had a good start to the season. But to me, just when I watch, and this goes back to the off season and training camp, like I haven't seen a Packers receiver get open more frequently than Romeo Dobbs. And I know rookie receivers haven't traditionally had huge rookie years playing with the Packers or playing with Aaron Rodgers. But I, I'm sorry. If you're looking for solutions to become a better, more explosive passing game, Romeo Dobbs is probably your best bet. Like that might be asking a lot for a fourth round rookie to be the maybe the number one read in your progression. But if I mean if you're serious about wanting success, bottom line is who is who's the player who's going to get you there? If it's someone on the roster right now, I think it's time to put more on Romeo Dobbs. He's getting open more than anybody else.
3: Yeah I, yeah, I agree with you there. And there, there were a couple of plays where I think he was trying to get it to him, but he was either underthrown or overthrown. So I don't know if, if their, their chemistry is still kind of clicking there, but I, I do agree. I do think if you need this catalyst on offense, it's got to be a guy that uh, – it's got to be Romeo because, you know, Christian, again, with his injury status, we're not really sure. I mean, maybe it would have been Sammy, but, you know, he's still on the IR. So, again, you need somebody to really step up. And and I do think Romeo or even potentially like a Robert Tunyon, um, you know, They need a better production from that that tight end position. And I know he's been kind of on a snap count because of his injury, but maybe you work him back in and then you have two explosive guys on offense. So maybe that's just the way to go about it to really put some more points on the board.
1: Yeah. They have to figure out something. This is not apples to apples very, very clearly. So let me state that ahead of time. But I remember back when Rogers had all of the trust in Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams was up and coming on the other side. And I think this was year three of Devontae. And Jordy Nelson was towards the, obviously, the, the end of his career a little bit. And I remember very distinctly, Roger's first read on almost every play was to Jordy. And understandably so, he'd been so freaking good for so freaking long. And I'm watching it and I'm like, man, Devonte's open on almost every play. Like, and Jordy was struggling to get off. This is, I think, after the, the ACL and Jordy was struggling a little bit more to get off of press coverage and separate and things like that. And there'd be times where like, it's going to Jordy on the left. And I'm like, man, look right. Devante is open. And it does seem that there's a little bit of that right now with Lazard and Romeo, where it's like, I know the propensity that he wants to look at Lazard because he trusts him and Lazard's having a nice season. There's no two ways about it. Like, like Lazard's getting open at times too. And there's things that he can do unquestionably, but you look to the other side and you see what Romeo is doing. And it's like, That's, that's the guy that you have to look to more often than not. And if he's not open, then you, then like, I almost like it the other way around where you're looking at Romeo first and watching him because that's the guy that you don't have as much trust. Right. So let's, let's keep our attention on him. And if he surprises us or gets open the way that we think he can. Awesome. Now, if I need to panic and like that didn't work, now I go back to the guy that I do trust is going to be exactly where I expect him to be because I have that progression with him. Same thing with Randall Cobb. Let those guys be your second and third reads and let Romeo be first because he's winning. He's the one that's winning fast. He's one winning quick. And then you've got your two guys, your trust on your second and third. It just seems that that would be a better process going forward. There's a lot of stuff we could discuss today, but let's, let's, let's throw this softball out there. I don't even, know not, it's a softball, but we're five games through there's no like easy quarter way through the season or like third of the way through the season anymore. We'll say we're a quarter through because they're gonna play 20 games including the Super Bowl so we're a quarter of the way through the season right now. How would you just simple letter grade how would you grade this team through five weeks through a, maybe a quarter of the season um now that we've seen them for uh, a handful of games Marcus, I'll start with you.
4: Ooh I would probably say a C um <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Okay, good. Then we are seeing the same thing. No, I the old saying like C's get degrees, right? It's a passing grade, but I don't know if anyone's really excited about a C. Uh, C is good. C means you pass, but it certainly hasn't been above and beyond any expectations. I, I don't think I guess Andy already mentioned this earlier, but if there's if there's one positive, You talk about your concerns and your questions, and nobody brings up special teams. Like, what? When's the last time that happened? That has been good. They put a huge emphasis with it on building the roster. Obviously, bringing in Rich Basacchia. Special teams have been good. Special teams has probably exceeded expectations a little bit, but offensively, while we figured there would be growing pains, they certainly haven't exceeded expectations. Defense has fallen short of their lofty expectations. So I'm going to go a solid C through the first five games.
3: Sounds like you're in lockstep. Yep. Totally, totally agree. I I feel like, and again, you know, the eye test is one thing and the players will say a win is a win. I totally get it, but it's just, when you're watching the game, it's the feel of the game. It's do you think this team really could just dominate in all three phases? And there hasn't been a game. I have felt like that in a while in a long time. And Again, it's not to say they can't get there, but it's just like the feel of the game. It's they easily could be a one and four team. Luckily, they're three and two. It's just, you know, bounces went their way. They were able to beat the Patriots in overtime. That could have been a loss. And and then we're talking about a lot of different things here. But again, to your point, it's the the feel of this team is that they're not quite there yet. They could get there, but at the moment they're an average team, which is not bad to say. We're still five weeks into the season, but you know, to Marcus's point, The offense, the growing pains are still very much alive and well. And again, you have Christian Watson, you have Sammy Watkins, who are injured. They were expected to produce offensively for this team. The defense, severely underachieving at this point. And the special teams, yeah, they're, they're doing as well as we could imagine. But it's just the feel of this team and how they kind of put themselves on the field and how they go up against teams that you're like, they should be dominating today. And they just haven't been able to do it. So I'm going to say a C so far. And, and that's, that's my grade.
1: I'm going to go C minus, and I might even lean a little bit worse than that. And a a couple of things, a couple of reasons why I think first of all is not learning from previous mistakes. Week one, abysmal last year, what happens this year, they completely no show in week one. Again, like long distance travel. I know not to the extent of London, but West coast trips and long travel has been an issue for green Bay. They've come out flat or not been able to finish games. What happens in London, they you know, they didn't come out flat, but they certainly didn't have the level of energy and intensity at the end of the game that they needed to have in that particular game. Like Some of those mistakes are happening over and over. I think maybe the bigger thing outside of special teams, which I think we can all uh, agree has overachieved to some level, uh, to some extent, and Rich Passaccia deserves credit for that. But outside of that, and I've been kind of mentioning this as well. I'm really struggling to put my finger on somebody that is overachieving at this point in the season, like Romeo Dobbs probably overachieving for a fourth round rookie at this point. I think that's exciting. Other than that, Kenny Clark or Sean Gary having nice seasons, but is it like that far above like what we would have expected going into the year? I don't think so. I can't, I can't think of anything else that I would point to and been like, yeah, that's been a really pleasant surprise. That's way better than I expected it to be. And I would actually go, pretty far in the other direction that this defense as a whole, that even like the the rookie class, the top of the rookie class, Watson, or Watson and um, Wyatt and uh, Quay, not probably where I would have liked them to be at this point. The offensive line far below my expectations. Um, Aaron Rodgers far below what I would have expected him to be through five weeks. I just think there's far too much underachieving through five weeks. And I, like, I struggle to say that that's, average, if, if everything's going below the curve, um, then I don't know that I can give it a seat.
3: Yeah. And and I just was thinking, I was like, is there just one player or maybe a couple players on this team? You're thinking they're the X factor. they are the guy that can take this team over the hump and they're going to make this team a Super Bowl caliber team. And I can't really think of one. And yeah, we know Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, but there isn't just that one big star that they have where you're like, this is the acquisition. This is the player it's going to take us over the top. They don't have that yet. Maybe they acquire somebody later later in the season, but there really hasn't been one guy where I'm like, this is the guy we're looking forward to, to really ramp up the juice here and really get this team going in the right direction. And sadly, I just there hasn't really been one and they need one.
1: All right. Before we get out of here, we have to end on a positive note because I know this has been a little bit of a, a venting session and we're getting some things out there that obviously we need to see improved. But I want one reason for optimism moving forward from everyone, and then we'll get out of here and we'll all move. on. We're on. as us Bill Belichick. We're on to New York. We're on to the Jets. Uh, but Lily, what is your reason for optimism moving forward?
3: Uh, they always just find a way to win, and I just say you know, whether they claw claw out wins or you know they have a guy named Aaron Rodgers and his arm. I just think that they always just kind of find a way to win. Again, Matt Lafleur, Aaron Rodgers, like Marcus said earlier in the show, this is not going to be a team with a losing season. Again, the NFC North—it's them and the Vikings. They'll figure out a way to either not win the division or at least be close and make the playoffs. I think this team still has enough good players where they will be fine. Again, they're not going to be a you know 15-win team or whatever, but they still have enough good, talented pieces where if they can just get everything going together and make it cohesive, they should be okay. Um, so I think that's reason for optimism. It's not like you know, we have a bad quarterback and a bad team with bad players. It's these guys are good. They just have to really utilize their potential.
4: Marcus. I'll just say, so this isn't my reason for optimism necessarily, but I'll just point out like this, this right now could be the low point of the season. And certainly Packer fans hope that it is. It very well could be like, this could be the wake up call they needed. They're a better team than the giants. They'll, they'll they should be better from this. So it's always important to, try to keep it in perspective when it is early October. This could be the low point. If there's one reason for optimism, though, I'm going to actually go to the offensive line. And I'm going to say that because like, as you said, Andy, well below expectations through five games, they have too many good players. They've got two all pro caliber players along that offensive line. They are going to be better. I would put any amount of money on it. They will be, as long as they stay healthy, they will be a lot better by season's end than they are right now. If you tell me that you have Aaron Rodgers, you have your preferred five, a healthy offensive line, and you have a healthy defense, then the Packers have a chance to make noise in the playoffs. But the the offensive line is huge. They haven't been good to start the year, but they're just too talented to, to stay at this level of play. So I'm still confident in the offensive line.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the thing for me is that outside of tight end, where I'm not sure you have a solution on the roster right now. And maybe Tony can get his legs underneath them a little bit more as the season goes along, but every other position on this team, I feel like there are baked in solutions on this roster right now. I've seen MVP Aaron Rodgers, the back to back to back seasons. We know Jones and Dylan are ultra talented. I have seen the flashes from Dobbs that I need to see. And I think Dobbs, Lazard and Cobb as a trio, maybe a little Sammy Watkins as well can be good enough to be what they need at wide receiver offensive line. You just mentioned it, Marcus, Elton and and Bakhtiari at tackle should be really great moving forward. It might take a little bit of time, but it should get there. I have faith in Myers. I have faith in John Runyon Jr. I think right guard might need to be looked at, but even still, even if – Uh, You know, Royce Newman isn't exactly what you would ultimately want him to be like if that's your fifth guy you can live with that if those other guys are playing up to expectations. I have faith in Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and TJ Slayton and Jerron Reed who's having a really nice season quietly along the defensive line. We saw Devondre Campbell play at all pro level just last year we know these three corners can be fantastic. I still have faith in the safety duo of Amos and Savage, and we've seen the special teams not be a complete unmitigated dumpster fire. So I see solutions everywhere. It just each of those groups needs to play up to their expectations, but I'm still bullish on this team at the end of the year. They just got to figure out their process to win the games now um, so that they can obviously be involved when it matters at the end. Friends, thank you so much for joining me for this. I will appreciate you both forever. Lily, where can we follow you on Twitter and where can we find your work?
3: Uh, Fox 6 Milwaukee, and right there on the screen. Oh, there I am, Lily S. All
4: right, perfect. Marcus, what about you? Just like my name is spelled right there, but a little at sign in front of it. I'm going to stop trying to point to it <laughs> at Marcus Eversall on Twitter. And yeah, listen to the fan, follow the fan at WDUZ.
1: Make sure you follow them both, they're the best people in the world. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. We'll be right back here next week on Tuesday with an all new Packaday Live. Of course, this coming Friday for pack a Happy Hour at 4.30 Central. And of course, because I do this 365 years because I'm a degenerate junkie, you will find a new YouTube episode tomorrow here as well. So make sure to check that out as well and subscribe. That does it for us, but until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!